go back to Romans chapter 12. Got an old friend with me, or a young friend today here, uh, Mike Zuniga. He's from, he was up here for a while, now in San Diego. But whatever you do, don't mention that the Dodgers lost this year. <laughs> Romans chapter 12, verse 1. <clears throat> I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. <clears throat> this morning we uh, had the clicker that worked. There. We talked about worldliness recognize it and this afternoon how to overcome it and we really used a lot and there's a picture of lot and his two daughters and his wife we use lot as an example of some indicators of what worldliness is about and we talked about being not conformed to this world and we just read this passage. <clears throat> I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable to God, which is reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed in the renewing of your mind, so you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Thankfully, God is not only in the redemption business of saving our souls, but He's also in the work of restoring wayward children into fellowship. There are great streams of mercy that flow from the throne of God where he wants us to avail ourselves of. <clears throat> and at times, uh, we find ourselves distanced from God, not where we once were, and uh, needing to draw nigh to him and confess our sins and to be cleansed and be back in sweet fellowship. As a little boy growing up, I uh, often found myself dreading the arrival of my father from work because I knew I was going to face the consequences of my disobedience to mom. And... Uh, <clears throat> I often said, oh, if I would just have listened. But sadly, later in life, in a much bigger scenario, a much bigger stage, I found myself and others often saying, oh, if I would have only listened. I'm thinking today about being approached at one time and just a Christian woman overwhelmed by not having listened and the terrible situation she got herself in. <clears throat> when it comes to the New Testament church, there's a very unique uh, relationship between a pastor and a flock over which God has made him overseer. 
And there's really not anything quite like it. The Bible says, uh, obey them and have a rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls as they must give an account and that they may do it with joy and not with grief for that is unprofitable for you. It's not something that a person would wish for to be in charge of watching for souls. It's not always enjoyable. It's, a, it's an assignment that God gives pastors that can be uh, a blessing. It's also an assignment where uh, he has to give the report with grief. John wrote about it in a positive way, and he said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And Paul gives the other side when he says, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. And he later on wrote in Philippians, For many walk, of whom I've told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. It, it brings no joy to a pastor or even others to see that God's children are being paid off with Satan's counterfeit money, which promises to buy a lot, but it buys nothing. It doesn't give any joy to see those who have professed Christ reap the reality when God said, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, actually also reap. There's no joy to see divorce, prison sentences, early deaths, heartache upon heartache of those who God has asked you to watch for their soul, but they've chosen to travel the Demas Highway. And so, in the time that I have left in this world and the influence that I have in this church as an associate, I want to uh, have a report that has joy. I want to be on the positive side and not the negative side. And so we're going to note this, and this morning as we talked about identifying worldliness, we're going to speak to you this afternoon about how to avoid worldliness. And you note right off the bat here, there's a contrast between worldliness and, and godliness, although they don't doesn't use the term worldliness or godliness. But it says, be not conformed to this world. And so there's this contrast of being conformed to the world. But then on the flip side of that, when you get to the bottom of verse 2, there's a possibility to have that which is good and acceptable and perfect will of God which is a direct 180-degree difference from worldliness, that I can either be up knee-deep into the world and, and be, have my soul vexed daily, as we saw a lot this morning, or, or I can know what is that good, that God's will is good. I'm not going to have to, you know, croak or, you know, beat myself over the head or, or, dig, or regret doing it, but God's good will is good. It's, it's, it's uh, acceptable that I can accept it, that it's perfect, exactly what I need, and it's for me personally. And so the first thing we look at here is this, is, uh, 
is it conform to this world versus uh, the, the uh, good and acceptable perfect will of God. <clears throat> the word conformed, of course, most of this wording here is very understandable. It means that the world is trying to mold us into its thinking, into its doing, into, into its shape, what it wants for us. Not creation, of course, but just the world system. And it's that verse we used this morning, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. And actually, in the, in the original language, the way this is written, it's really saying, stop letting the world conform you. It's not that we're waiting for that to happen, but it's happening. Right now, it's happening. This world and its thinking and the things that you see through your eye gate and your ear gate and your reading and watching is trying to conform us, that it's got a message that's sitting out there, a, a drumbeat that's trying to bring us into line. And so he says, stop letting the world mold you. We need to be very conscious of the fact that this world and Satan and our flesh is, is weak and is trying to mold us. And, and uh, if, we're not, if we don't watch it, worldliness can keep us from the very best God wants for us. Just because we're saved doesn't mean we have all that God has for us so that we're going to uh, get the best from God. And we're not losing your salvation, but we're talking about the Christian life. And, and we saw this morning some very straight and forward uh, wording that God gives to us to warn us against worldliness. It's a state where we miss out on the best of God. It's a state where in the Psalms it says that God gave them the request. Israel kept asking for this, the manna and the different stuff. They kept asking for things. He said he gave them a request, but he sent leanness to their soul. That it's possible for us to be prospering financially, prospering in this world. We got the world by the tail on the downhill pull. But in our soul, it's, it's emaciated that we have leanness of soul. It's a state where we're going to fail to live out our purpose for the Lord, where we eat or drink or whatsoever we do, do all to the glory of of God. It's a state where our days are spent in discontentment, running here, running there, trying to find what, you know, trying to find purpose and meaning here, purpose meaning there, go, 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 trying to, trying to find contentment, and our soul being vexed, as, as I said of Lot, that his soul was vexed daily in that place that he was living. It's a, it's a life not unlike Lot's where he pitched his tent towards Sodom, and then pitching his tent towards Sodom, he eventually moves into Sodom. He eventually uh, dwells in the gates there, and the gate being an, a, a, a city official. He's going to, we saw this morning, he called the Sodomites, don't do this, brethren. He called them brethren. And he was, he was associated with them. And in the end, he lost his wife. He lost his daughters and sons-in-laws. He lost his wealth. He lost his testimony. He lost his ability to be a positive influence. And it didn't have to be. But on the other hand, as we see, is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 
a tremendous place of peace, a life of fruitfulness, a life of an abundant entrance into heaven. Peter talks about that there can be an abundant entrance into heaven, that actually God is in rewards. But it also can be that we just barely get in by the, by just we're saved though as by fire. That we, just, we go to heaven, yes, we're saved, but there's no, there's no crowns that we can take off our head and cast them at the feet of our Savior to bring him glory. And so we have both of these. And this section here is going to help us not dwell in that place of ungodliness. I think it's very important that we, that we see where these words fall in the book of Romans. It's, it ends there in chapter 11 and talking about for unto him, uh, you know, for of him and through him and to him and are all things. And it's kind of a doxology, but chapters 1 through 11 are very doctrinal. They, they tell us, what, it tells us we're lost, that we need a Savior. It tells us about how justification comes by the blood of Christ. We're justified by faith in his blood. It tells us about righteousness and imputed righteousness. It talks about his mercy there in verse 32 of chapter 11. For God hath reconciled them all in unbelief, and he might have mercy upon all. Uh, and And... When he gets to chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you by the mercies of God, that God has been merciful to us. But what I want you to see and understand, uh, I kind of got it below where you might be able to see it, but the message is clear. Proper conduct flows out of proper doctrine. I want to say that again. Proper conduct flows out of proper doctrine. It should be no, no brainer to us to see that Jim Baker, famous Jim Baker, the television evangelist, was an ungodly man, and his doctrine was false. Proper conduct flows out of proper doctrine. And, and so when he gets to chapter 12, we have a major split in the, uh, not a split necessarily, but a major division in the book of Romans. It goes from, very doctrinal basis foundation to telling us how to live. Uh, and he, he talks about ministry there in verse 7. Uh, he goes on and talks about love, <coughs> uh, love there in chapter 9. And, and uh, ch- chapters 12 through the end of the book is just verse after verse and precept after precept about how to live in this world and function in this world. Very practical, practical stuff. And so it it's, um, follows doctrine. And then we see here he pleads with the mercy of God, or the mercies of God, that God saved us, God's been merciful. And so I'm pleading with you because what God has done to present your body a living sacrifice. Now, the next word I want you to focus on, I want you to focus on this word living sacrifice. Because when, usually when you talk to someone about being godly, when you talk to someone about being spiritual, the idea that comes up is, um, well, you know, I want to live a little bit. Uh, you know, 
uh, it's seen in a very negative light. I've got to go to church today. When I got saved, I had to give up my smoking. I had to give up my drinking. I had to give up my chewing. I had to give up my girls that smoked and chewed and arm wrestled me. Whatever. And religion is such a such a boring lifestyle. My church is tying me down. I just it's just tying me down, and I want to sprout wings and fly. I want some liberty, and it becomes very boring. But what I want you to see here, it's not a dying sacrifice. It's a living sacrifice, and of course that relates to you know the difference between animal sacrifice and living for the Lord. But the point is, is it is living. That the Christian life, that the Christian life is lived right on, the, the true Christian life is lived right on the sharp edge of resisting conformity. I was talking to a brother this morning and he was, he you know, he was telling me about his worldliness and things got him into. And, but he said, I just feel like I'm always, he said, I just feel like I'm always right there on the dark edge, like I'm going to fall off into worldliness. And I said to him, brother, you know, I, I, read, I said this morning about the fact that it's, Philippians says that when we realize we haven't arrived is when we're in a good place, not yet attained. But I said, brother, Right on the edge, the dark edge, is where God wants you to draw the battle line. That's where he wants us to live, on the edge. That the, that, the, the, that the light that needs to shine the brightest is right on the edge where the battle's at. And here, it's a, it's a living sacrifice. And, and uh, he says here, for, for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Who shall separate from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we're more than conquerors. That the Christian life is not a ho-hum, boring life. It's not a, a life that takes away from me. It's not a life that's going to subtract from my my goodness in life or my value in life. I've experienced a lot of life. Of course, I'm an old codger, but I've experienced a lot of life. I was a hero. Me, the hero. Back in 1963 at uh, the state championship football game, and catching the pass, intercepted it, and helped our team win the game. I experienced, a, it was a, a great experience, catching my first king salmon on the Salta River, shooting my first moose up on the Koyukuk. It was a great experience seeing my future bride uh, walk the church aisle and a tear flow down my cheek. And her laughing at me when I stuck my tongue out and caught the tear before it hit my lip. <laughs> it was a great experience holding each one of my eight babies 
for the first time. But listen, none of that would have been the same without Jesus Christ as my Savior. Let me tell you, to live was Christ. When I loaded up all of my great values and put them in a little, a little U-Haul trailer that was four feet by six feet probably, and uh, maybe a little bit wider than four feet, and headed up the Alcan to come to Alaska to become pastor of Placro Baptist Church. I didn't have enough money to live in Alaska, and I didn't have enough brains to be a pastor of a church. But what a joy living for Christ. And him supplying the needs. It wouldn't have been possible without him. It was exciting. Actually, it was exciting to live having a wife and two kids on a salary of $830 a month in Alaska. Because, because I had to trust God. And how exciting it was. I say to you that I've not seen the righteous forsaken or received begging bread. He took care of me. The Christian life, I mean, we live in a day when I think that you, some of you, and myself from times, the Christian life is just a peripheral thing out there, and, and it, can be, it can be exciting sometimes, and it can be very boring sometimes, but, but to live is Christ. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. It's a life. It's something worth giving myself to. To live is Christ. I remember as a young, young man, uh, home from college and going to work for my dad and the Lord getting hold of my heart about the ministry. And I felt like, you got to understand, the town I grew up in, 600 people, we didn't knock doors in Fossil, Oregon, because you can knock all the doors in Fossil, Oregon in about 15 minutes. Uh, and so the evangelism, that part wasn't very, very active. But I just felt like God would want me to go and talk to this young man who'd been in trouble. His father lived out on a farm. And I went, to, I said, okay, Lord, okay. <laughs> I don't want to do this. I've not done this before. I've not done this door knocking stuff. But, Lord, I'll do what you want me to do. And I remember going out there, and I remember going down the lane into the, into the farmhouse, and uh, it was in the spring, and, and I should have known better, but I got stuck up with the axles and mud trying to get to talk to this guy. And I got there, and I talked to him and shared with him. His dad went and got the tractor and pulled me out, and uh, I don't even know why I'm telling you all these stories today, but uh, to live was Christ. Not that I'd done that, but that I had a moment when the presence of God was on me, uh, not jumping pews and stuff, but I experienced God. And I experienced how he could open doors for me. And I'm simply saying to you, when he says, present your body as a living sacrifice, it is not something that's going to cost you dearly. Yeah. 
But it's what he cannot use us when we're holding back. He wants our lives. He wants to bless us. I put this soldier on here because he's so bright-eyed. I don't know if he's on drugs or not. Maybe he's a German soldier. My voice told me that the Germans took drugs. But he's wide awake. And I don't know if anybody is any more wide awake than a soldier on the battlefield that's in combat. He's wide awake. He, he, this guy, his life is being lived to the utmost. There's no ho-hum about him. But perhaps you and I at times, that our Christian life is dull. It's uneventful. And perhaps it's because uh, we've left the battle. Perhaps we've flown the white flag. Perhaps we've started walking down the Demas Highway as a traitor. You see uh, a phrase that I've used before, but God wants us to mount up with wings as eagles. Well, we are like uh, a golden eagle scratching around in the Rhode Island red chicken pen hunting for stuff. All I'm saying is, to, is this to you. To live is Christ. What priority does he have in our life? He's saying here, I beseech you. I'm begging you. I'm pleading with you that you present your body as a living sacrifice. Now don't stand there and think, well, God didn't call me to be a missionary. God didn't call me to preach. He's not talking about that. He's talking about God having you. And he goes on and says, it's, his, it's your reasonable service. Listen, you've been bought with a price. You're not your own. You belong to him. And so it just boils down to a very little simple thing. I start my day out, and I say, Lord, what do you want me to do? But that sometimes doesn't become so simple, does it? Because we often say, I don't want to do it. And so the first thing is, be not conformed to this world. Represent your body. And then the keys to godliness, what are they? Well, he says, be not conformed to this world. It's just, as I said this morning, it's saying, stop being conformed. It, it, we are being conformed. We're already being conformed. And he said, you need to, you need to say, I'm going to stop it. Stop it. This influence in my life, I'm going to get rid of it. This thing that's controlling my thinking and taking away what I know is the best, I'm settling, up for, the, I'm settling for lesser instead of the best, Stop it. Don't let this world keep conforming you. And uh, let me tell you, that isn't a once-a-year battle. That's not even a once-a-month battle. That could be a moment-by-moment battle. And he's calling upon us to do that. But then he says, but be you transformed. Be transformed. Godliness in the spiritual-minded man 
is being transformed. Now, it's important that we understand what he's saying here. Be not conformed to this world, that's the negative, but the positive is be ye transformed. Well, what is that? What's he talking about? Well, it's an interesting word. It's the word metamorpho. It describes a process by which that on the inside shows forth to the outside. And it's a familiar word if you've taken any uh, biology. Uh, we get the word metamorphosis from it, where the lowly caterpillar metamorphosizes, if that's a word, into a butterfly. But here's what he's saying. There's something within us, the Spirit of God. And he wants that Spirit of God that's hidden within us, that we know about, but he wants that Spirit of God to work itself up out of us and be transformed. That when people see us, they can see Christ living in me. He wants that was within to come out. And here's what you got to understand. You cannot do that of yourself. That which is godly within us, God must work out of us. But we can present our bodies as a living sacrifice. We have to, we have to take the initial step. And, and it's interesting, this word transform, it, 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 it's in the present tense, it's in the passive voice, and it's in the imperative sense. So what does all that mean? I hated English. But the present tense means every, all the time, present, all the time, all the time, all the time, all the time, I have to be transformed. The passive voice is, the passive voice is that the ball hit me. Throw the ball would be active. The ball hit me. It's passive. And the passive voice is that it's got to be done to me. But then in the imperative sense, it's a command. And so he's saying, okay, okay, it's in the, it's in the present tense. It's got to happen all the time. But it's got to be done to you by someone from outside of you. And, and it's a command. You can't just ignore it. So what he's saying is, we need to cooperate with God in becoming godly. Are you with me? That, that we're to be transformed. That, that there needs to come a place in my life when people see God in me and not Humphrey in me. The people would observe me and glorify God. And so he wants us to be conformed. The songwriter said, Once far from God and dead in sin, no light my heart could see. But in God's word, the light I found, how now Christ liveth in me. As lives the flower within the seed, as in the cone the tree, so praise the Christ of truth and grace. His spirit dwelleth in me. And so we need to flesh this out. How does this come about? How does this Christ in us, how is it going to come to the present? How does this, how does this spiritualness, how does this opposite of worldliness, how is that going to be worked out in my life? It's vital that we understand this because this is where we mess up. And this is where a large majority of Baptists 
independent baggage mess up. This spirituality, the idea is that it comes through excitement and enthusiasm, that we need some new programs, need some better music. We need a more active music leader. We need new blood teaching in the Sunday school. We need more fellowship parties. It's all about feeling. And I'm not much of a singer here, but get all excited. Go tell everybody that Jesus Christ is king. I said, get all excited and go tell everybody that Jesus Christ is king. Won't you get all excited? Go tell everybody that Jesus Christ is king. Jesus Christ is still the king of kings. And you know what? The second verse is just like it and no more deeper. Spirituality is not through excitement. Never has been. Just like the football homecoming rally. We're all excited, man. We're going to go out there and we're going to roll them over. And then you get smacked real hard and you get the air knocked out of you. And you know that football is more about stuff than excitement. And so... Spirituality, you and I, if we're not careful, we're going to base it on, how do I feel today? How do I feel about my job? How do I feel about my wife? How do I feel about worship? How do I feel about my preacher? It's a life of feeling. What I want you to see here, it says, I beseech you, therefore, by the mercy of God, you presented by his living sacrifice, whole acceptable in God, which is a reasonable service, and be not transformed, be not conformed, but be ye transformed by excitement. It doesn't say that. It says, by the renewing of your mind. And we'll look at that pretty quick. But we're only transformed, we're not only transformed by, you know, we're going to come to church and we're going to get these song leaders up here and, and, and uh, we're going to have girls dance around on the stage and we're going to clap our hands and we're going to have lively music and we're going to leave the church that day saying, man, it was great to be in the house of God. And I'm not against good music, and not, but I'm not saying that's good music, but I'm just simply saying to you that transformation, be not to transform, this transformation is by the renewing of the mind. And it's not by building a fire under somebody. It's not by excitement. Now, watch out. We're going to get on somebody else's feet now. It's not only not by excitement, but on the other hand, we have those today who work at developing the transformed spiritual man by doing. And I want you to not get confused here, or read into it. Spirituality becomes a list of four points of doing this, or 12 points of not doing that. And the idea is that you need to conform to the standards of the church. To be spiritual, you need to settle up and ride with me. What if I'm not spiritual? 
conformity. And let me tell you something. This very passage teaches that conformity is not transformation. And we'll go into churches. Maybe you've been a member of them. And they have this list, whether it's published or whether it's just known to be known. And if you do this, and you dot these I's and cross these T's, then you'll be spiritual. You'll be one of us. Now, don't run out of here all mixed up. God has some standards. But conformity, raised as the standard of spirituality, on many occasions comes tumbling down at the first trial or the first change in leadership. I remember a number of years ago, I was just not even married yet, and this pastor in Tennessee, he made sure that he made sure that all of his members, church members, male members, knew that it was ungodly to grow a beard. And they never grew a beard until he took another church and moved. And then they all grew beards. It had nothing to do with spirituality. Absolutely nothing. Do you understand that the, one of the greatest forces of conformity in the world, one of the greatest sources of conformity in the world is religion? And so, being spiritual, I mean, you can see them. You've been around them. You know, when you don't, when you don't really meet the standard that they have, then, then, then when it has nothing to do with spirituality, it has to do with the list that they have made. a list of acceptable behavior among the peers. I remember a whole group of women who wore dresses until they got a new preacher. How deep was that spirituality? And so it's not emotion. It's not a list that I check off. But it's a renewing of the mind. It's a renewing of the mind. And that renewing of the mind is tied directly to the word of God. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. I delight to do thy will, O God. Yea, the law is within my heart. Now listen, God is never against feelings. He's not against doing He's a God of powerful passions and feelings. And he has commands in the Bible that we need to be doers of. 
their feeling and doing are completely insufficient, completely insufficient for being a spiritual man. We can't ask, how do I feel? We can't ask, what do I do? But whether we, we ask this, what does God's word say? And I'm going to do it. Why do you tithe? Or why don't you tithe? Because you don't feel like it? Because that's not what they do here? Why do you keep your children out of public school? Well, because all the other ladies in the church homeschool their children. What if they didn't homeschool their children? Why do you do what you do? It can't be just out of emotions. The transforming. Be transformed by renewing the, the transforming. You see, what we're shooting for is for God to come out of us. For us to be in the image of Christ and we're shooting for the end results that we might test and prove and accept and live the perfect will of God. And so it's not about being religious. It's being right. It's about being right. It's about doing what God said right. It's about staying. This is where the line is, and this is where I'm drawing the line, and this is where I'm standing. Why do you do what you do? Why did you give up smoking dope if you gave it up? Why do you or should give up pornography? What's your biblical position on church attendance? It's not because God makes us happy or that we dot the I's and cross the T's of what's expected, but the spiritual man is a transformed man, and it comes through getting into God's Word. This morning we talked about the signs of worldliness. I know when, when, I, when I get worldly, it's because I quit feeding on God's Word. And so, listen, today, when we talk about godliness, when we talk about worldliness as opposed to godliness, it's about, this is, what, this is what the Bible says. I see it for myself. I know that this is true, and I'm going to draw the line right here. Godliness is about drawing some lines. And I'm going to, I'm going to stand on this mountain. And I'm going to die on this mountain. And I'm not going to lower my colors. And I don't care what your standard is. This is what God's word says, and this is where I'm standing. I wouldn't give you a flip for all the Christians that go by a, a list that they're marking off. Their spirituality is a millimeter thick and a mile wide. But you get a man that says, this is what the Bible says, and this is where I'm standing. He has some depth to him. And he knows he hasn't arrived. And he knows it's by the grace of God he is what he is. We're talking about being transformed. 
but the renewing of the mind. Day by day, back in the 1960s, when I was a little boy in eastern Oregon, not so little as teenage years, my family, and I along with them, went to this celebration of life. They didn't call it that back then. But I had a distant cousin in a little village over from us. My parents lived on a little farm, beautiful little farm. We went there to celebrate his life because he'd been killed in the Vietnam War. My father was a godly man. He was an adult Sunday school teacher. He taught at the First Baptist Church in Fossil, Oregon. He had a possibility to minister to relatives at that celebration of life. And at the end of the day, the men were in the house cutting up and having fun and doing what Eastern Oregon rednecks do. And they brought a whiskey bottle out. And they passed it around. And through the doorway, I saw my father take a swig. He never took more than one. Only one swig. He never got drunk. I never lost my love for him. But on that day, the standard that he knew was in the word of God for him drifted. And I'm simply saying to you this. He was more of a godly man than I am. And that you're going to be tested daily, daily, daily about being not conformed to this world. And if we're going to overcome it, we're going to have to be transformed by renewing of our mind. We have to get into God's word and cement it into our life. The walls come crumbling down when the Bible study comes crumbling down. If he says, I beseech you, I beg of you, these people that he'd won in there in Rome, uh, these, these godly people, he knew that there was a war going on. They were on a battlefield. They were not to be soldiers like in the World War II that would go into, into the French cities and stop at the cafes and, and party and flirt with the, with the waitresses there when the Battle of the Bulge is raging. There's a battle. And he, he uh, had a full court press on him that day. And so, what was his problem? Well, he hadn't been God's word for a while. What's my problem? The same. And I'm just simply saying to you that what he's asking of us here to be transformed, there's a way to do that. There's a way for, for the ugliness of Humphrey, the, the pride of Humphrey. Humphrey, Humphrey, Humphrey. 
There was a way for it to melt away when that which is in me, Jesus Christ, becomes in my image and I become like him. God is calling us to get into his word, see what it says, and by grace say, yes, I'm going to follow this. God is asking us to, yes, keep your list, but make sure it's generated out of God's word. We may need to set our list aside on the shelf and bow our knee and say, Lord, what would you have me to do? God is asking us to renew our mind through the word. You see, the, the good and acceptable and perfect will of God that's what we're shooting for. We're not shooting for when I go out the door and after I preach and people go out and say, Brother, that was a really good message today. Thanks, you know, because I know maybe three Sundays from now they could say, man, he blew that. But it's about God's perfect will. What's acceptable. I don't care how exciting your life is and I don't care about your list or my list. But I care about what God's word says. And the question is, am I in the center of God's will? You see, I can be out of the center of God's will. And I can be worldly standing right here in this pulpit. Whether you're standing in the choir loft. Or in the sound booth. Or sitting in the pew. Spirituality is not measured by you. Spirituality is not measured by your list and spirituality is not measured by your excitement. But it's measured by renewing of your mind. And that spiritual side of us comes forth. Not my checklist. What is true? And you see, it's a it's a frightful place. It's a scary place. It's a sobering place. Because uh, when I come to the point and I say, Lord, I want to be spiritual. I'm not talking about being a missionary. I'm talking about being the best father you could be if you're a man, best mother you could be, the best child you could be. I'm talking about being the best worker, that I'm going to work. I'm going to tell the truth. I'm going to do what I promised even if it costs me. I'm going to try to be biblical in all of my life and my acting. It's going to put you in a pressure cooker. Because here's the deal. When he says, present your body a living sacrifice, God wants all of you. 
And God is not going to settle for anything less. I'm not saying call to preach. Maybe he is. But whatever you are, as his child, he has bought you. And he's asking you to give him all. And this renewing of your mind may be a gradual, it's a day-by-day-by-day-by-day thing. But nevertheless, it's a pressure cooker. And so, you know, you may be here and you say, and you're standing up and you're saying, uh, uh, yes, 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 I will. Yeah, I want, to, I want to surrender today. I want to present my body a living sacrifice. I want to give God my all. I want to, I want to become the spiritual man. But just realize this. He wants all of you. He wants you to be in his word and know this. Know this for a surety. If I'll present my body as a living sacrifice, if I'll refuse to be conformed to this world, if I will be transformed the renewing of his mind. I'll get into God's word and I'll say, this is what it says. This is how I've got to respond to that. This is, this, is, this is black and white. Some things are not black and white in the scripture, but this is black and white. See, it's not a problem what we don't understand. It's a problem what we do understand and won't do it. I understand this. And so, Lord... By your grace, you said that it's, it's passive. You said that you would transform me, that you would, that you would take your power and you would work in me and that, that I would become transformed because it's passive, Lord. You're going to do a work on me and, Lord, I want to cooperate because because I want to live in the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. There's not a greater place you can live. There's not a greater place you can live. And so how do we get away from this morning's message where we identified what worldliness is? Well, we're going to have to give what God already owns back to him, surrender it to him, present it a living sacrifice that it's worth living. Listen, I, I don't know how to express this enough, but listen, the Christian life is worth living. It's the only thing in this world worth giving my life to is the Christian life and my Savior. It's a living life. It's a living sacrifice. It's a glorious thing. Yeah, it involves trouble, it involves trials, it involves heartache. It may even bring me to a point of death or death. But to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so I'm just, you know, I'm just uh, laying it out like it is. And what a joy to know that I'm in the will of God. Good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And I challenge you today, 
If you're thinking that Christian life is all about get all excited and go tell everybody, to rethink that. Because some things aren't real exciting in the Christian life. But it's right. If you're here today and you see the easiest thing to live as a Christian is to have a list. I know a church in, the, in town that they have this list and they do all this stuff on a weekly basis. And once they got their list done, then they're done. But the list don't cut it because that's, that's not transforming it's a renewing of your mind. And so I challenge you today, forget your list. Make one that lines up with the word of God. It's okay to have a list. It helps you. But don't judge your spirituality by your list. But dare, dare to say, Lord, what do you want me to do today? That's one of the most <laughs> sobering and terrifying things you could do. And I'm not saying that every day is going to be something that's star-studded and fireworks. It may be that I just need to drag myself out of bed and go do something that I know the Lord wants me to do, even a menial task. But I'm going to get in God's word and let it change me. be not conformed to this world. We have a wonderful Savior. We have a wonderful Commander-in-Chief. He's working in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He says in that passage, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. What's God trying to do in your life? What's God trying to do? Well, I don't want him trying to do anything. I just, I just finally got settled in here. No, what is God trying to do in your life? Some of you look like you're in the pressure cooker. Jump on in with me. Just jump in with me. Because God wants his will, and he wants his honor, and he wants to give us something that's priceless is good and acceptable and perfect will for our lives. You see, God has a will for your life that's not like mine. It's a will that he's designed particularly for you. And actually, it may be that even way back before you were saved, God was putting things in line, lining them up, lining them up, lining them up for his perfect will. Now the issue is, will you cooperate? Will you present your body as a living sacrifice? Let's pray.